One particularly cold January morning, many years ago, I pulled back my bedroom curtains and surveyed the frosty street beneath my first floor window. I imagined my newly installed boiler packing up and my young boys becoming dangerously ill because I had failed to protect them from their freezing cold home. I then noticed my neighbour as he left his house, trailing white smoky breath and quickly chastised myself for not warning him to take care as he walked to work. My omission could mean he might slip on an icy pavement and smash his head, leaving his pregnant wife a widow. Wrestling my mind back from the potential disasters I could cause, I spotted a man sitting in a car parked opposite my house. He was writing things down, resting his clipboard on the steering wheel, pen lid between his lips. His presence petrified me. I was convinced that he had been sent to spy on me and was compiling a scathing report of my misdeeds. That morning, my anxious mind was intent on punishing me for my possible wrongdoings. The man with the clipboard signalled the seriousness of my actions and omissions. I had done something, or many things, so dreadful that the authorities had mandated his surveillance. Maybe I'd failed to return a tax form from a previous year of employment, or perhaps someone had informed social services that I was an unfit mother. As I ruminated on many possible transgressions, all the energy drained from my body, and I sat down on the bed to recover my strength and my wits. Criticising myself for my lapses, imagined or otherwise, wasn't new to me. In fact, this was a habit that caused me frequent bouts of anxiety. But this particular episode showed how hard my self-critic could bite. It, or she really, as it's a part of me, managed to convince me that I was seriously bad in an objective, state-endorsed type of way. No wonder I felt so physically weakened. Self-criticism can provoke overwhelming anxiety and paranoia in so many of us, and can infect our internal world in various ways that are damaging or disastrous to living well. It's a mental habit that we aren't often aware of, but I suspect that if you are listening to this audiobook, you either know or have a hunch that you have it. You may even spot others close to you bashing themselves needlessly, wishing they would stop. It's likely. Self-critics are everywhere, and they have kept me very busy in my job as a psychotherapist for the best part of 20 years. Self-criticism runs like a golden thread through nearly all the problems that people bring to me. Most of my clients don't initially talk about this habit, though, as they don't even realise they have it. Instead, self-criticism tends to tuck inside many more familiar experiences of distress, such as anxiety, as mine used to do, depression, where it thrives most obviously perhaps, intimacy and relationship struggles, addictions, eating disorders, overwhelming grief, and, often at its most pernicious, self-harm and suicidality. You may not be suffering from any of these mental health issues, but my guess is that you could ease up on how you treat yourself nonetheless. I want this book to inspire you to do so. I share the stories of eight clients whose lives illustrate some of the key reasons we lose the ability to treat ourselves with fairness, kindness, love and compassion. I don't believe any baby is born worried that the pitch of its cry is annoying or whether its thighs look fat with a nappy on. But over time, assailed by an array of social, cultural and relational influences, we learn to turn in on ourselves, often without noticing. I want you to think more about how much of this applies to you because that is the first step to learning to do something differently and to improving your mental health. 
We have to notice our inappropriate or harsh criticism before we can learn the healthier practice of measured reflection and to foster a greater internal warmth. We may even learn to give ourselves some praise too. In the epilogue, Further Thinking, I point you in the direction of further reading and thinking about the promising road ahead. Each story explores one or two common reasons why people might have a harsh self-critic, though of course there are many more than I am able to cover in just one book. I don't mean to give parents a particularly bad rap, but they tend to be a popular topic of conversation in my consulting room, and they come up frequently in these stories. It is well established, not just by Freud and other notable psychotherapists in his wake, but by the growing body of developmental psychology research, that parents have a powerful influence on how we learn to treat ourselves. Despite a parent's flaws, I believe, however, that he or she is doing his or her best. They often have their own self-critic to contend with after all.